0: Our topic is called Jesus on Religious Tradition, and let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful and thankful that we live in a country where we are free to come and gather together in your name and in your presence and open up the word of life. And Lord, as we are opening the Word, we recognize that we need the Holy Spirit who inspired the Word to help us to understand it. And so we're praying and asking that You will do that. That You will give us wisdom. You will give us a heart, Lord, that is willing to surrender to You. To follow the truth as You reveal it to us. And that, Lord, You will give us ears to hear. Give us a mind to understand. And Lord, help us to take Your Word. And even though it may change our lives, help us to surrender to it and allow You to do that work in us that we can't do in ourselves. And we pray and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. When it comes to the origin of life, there are essentially only two positions. Either there is a God who created the world, or there isn't. Either God has always existed and brought about the creation of the cosmos, or they all came by purely chance or accident. But as we look at nature and we study the amazing complexity of even the simplest forms of life, we realize that God has left His fingerprints throughout the universe. From the smallest living organism to the far reaches of the cosmos and beyond, we can find evidence for a Creator God. The God that shaped the world. that God that created everything out of nothing. The book of Revelation describes a vision in which John is called up into heaven. And that vision is in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And John says that he heard this voice saying, Come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. And so in prophetic vision, John is being taken directly into the throne room of God. And as he is entering there, he hears the praise of all of the angels in heaven in verse 11. And they all say, "...you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power." For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. You know, there are scientists today who still can't figure out the origin of man. There are scientists today who still can't figure out how the universe was created. And yet, at the same time, it appears that all of the angels in heaven know. They clearly understand because they say, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise and power. And why? Because You created all things. And by Your will, they exist. You see, friends, you were not evolved from a monkey. It was not by some cosmic accident that you are here. We were all created by a loving God. Before you existed in the womb of your mother, you existed in the mind of God. He formed you. He fashioned you. He shaped you in your mother's womb and He brought you forth into life. And the book of Revelation calls all of humanity back to worshiping God as the Creator. In Revelation 14, verse 7, we see this verse that we've been studying quite a bit of, and we're going to do more. It says, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And do what? And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the seas and the springs of water. In an age of evolution... In the very last days of human history, right before the coming of Jesus to this earth for the second time, God sends out this message to the entire human race calling us to worship Him as the Creator. I want you to notice that this message doesn't go out to just one religious group or another. This message doesn't go out to one particular Christian denomination or another. This message goes out to the entire world. It is God's final call to all of His people. It is a call for us to worship Him as the Creator God. And so that really should bring us to the question, well, how do we worship the Creator of heaven and earth. And we're going to answer that question tonight, but before we answer that question, I need to ask you another question. And that is, how does God remind us of His creative power? How does God remind us of His creative power? Let me ask that question a little different way. At creation... Did God leave us a sign or a symbol of His creative power or His creative authority? While you're thinking about that question, let me say this. The book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It is the book of endings. But if we want to understand the book of endings we need to go back to the book of beginnings. Because if we are going to truly understand the significance of the monumental issues that are being played out in the last days of earth's history, then we really need to understand the events at creation. We need to realize that Revelation's final call To worship God as the Creator has its origins in the book of Genesis. The book of beginnings. Because you see, throughout the Bible, there is this theme that is trying to define false and true worship. And remembering God as the Creator is the common thread that weaves all of that together throughout the entire Bible. It is one of the most important themes in all of Scripture. And the heart of Revelation's final crisis is over true and false worship. And so that places the worship of the Creator right in the center of it all. And so, let's return to our origins. Let's return to our beginnings so that we can understand the end. So that we can understand our destiny. You see, the amazing, intricate world as we know it today was created in six literal 24-hour days. Our Creator spoke. And the earth came into existence. God dazzled it with light. He enveloped it with an atmosphere. He brightened it with babbling brooks and flowing rivers. He colored it with beautiful plants and flowers and trees. And He enlivened it with an incredible variety of living things. And every day of creation, as God finished for that day, He said, it is good. And then came the crowning act of God's creation. Turning to the Father, the Creator, Jesus Christ, said to Him in Genesis one twenty six, Let us make man in our image. And then in verse 27, the Bible says, in the image of God, He created Him, male and female, He created them. You see, man was the most important part of all of God's creation. Because God is love, and God wanted to create a being that would love Him back. That would have free will. And so there's no greater love that God could have shown than to create a free will being. The the human race is God's masterpiece of creation. It is the pinnacle of His creation. And we are the object of His supreme love. And after the creation of Adam and Eve on the sixth day, the Bible says that in Genesis 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth and the host of them were finished. In just six short days, God had created all of the living things, the earth, out of nothing. But the account of creation didn't end on the sixth day. And I want to show you this, so turn with me in your Bibles to the first book, Genesis. And we're going to go to chapter 2. If you're using one of our seminar Bibles on your table there, that's going to be page 2. Verse 1 is here on the screen, but let's read it again in our Bibles. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth, and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all of His work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all of His work which God had created and made. And so the first thing that we see here is that On the seventh day, God rested. Now, let me ask you a question. What does it mean that God rested? Was God tired? I don't think so, because there are verses in the Bible that tell us that God does not grow weary. He does not grow weak or get tired. He does not sleep or slumber. So, what does it mean that God was tired? Well, let's try to simplify it the best we can, and let's try to give ourselves an example. I want you to imagine that you and I, we created something. I like to work with wood, so let's just imagine that it was a beautiful china cabinet. And we have put our heart and soul into this work, and we see it and it's beautiful, but it's finished, and now what do we do? We grab our lawn chairs, and we sit back, and we just admire the completed work that we have done, right? And so what God is doing is He is resting in His completed work. He is looking at the world and He's saying that is awesome. In fact, He says, very good, right? After He creates man. And so God is resting in His completed work and then He does something very special. Something very significant. The seventh day Sabbath given at creation was to be God's perpetual reminder of our roots. So let's look at the three specific things that God did on the seventh day. The first thing we see there was that God blessed it. He made the seventh day an endless fountain of spiritual refreshing for His people for all eternity. And He blessed it. And He blessed it with His presence. Imagine any greater blessing than being in the presence of God. And then He also blessed it by setting that day aside as a special day. And how did He make that a special day? We read there that He sanctified it, right? He set it apart for a holy purpose. He set that aside as a continual reminder of our roots. Where did we come from? He created us. And so He set that day aside for a very special purpose. The third thing that He did is He rested on that day. And I want you to notice that that description of creation, there's nowhere in there that it says God blessed any of the previous six days of creation. There's nowhere in it that it says that God made any of those other days holy. And I'll tell you this, that what God blesses, according to 1 Chronicles 17.27, whatever God blesses, He blesses Forever. And so, to bless the day is to infuse it with His presence. It is a day that God set aside to spend with us. Think about this for a minute. Adam and Eve were created on the first day. And so what was the very first thing that they did after they were created? The seventh day, they rested with God. They hadn't even done anything yet and they were resting. Isn't that awesome? So God blessed the seventh day by making it an eternal sign of His powerful creation and infinite love. And God rested with Adam and Eve not because He was tired, but because He knew that we would be tired. God created man and He put him right to work. And He said, You shall work six days, And so God knew that we were going to need a day every week to refresh ourselves, restore our bodies, and a day to spend with Him. A day that would be blessed because He would be present. And so He set that day aside for a holy purpose. Now I want to talk about that word sanctified that was in there because we don't see the word holy there. We see that word sanctified, but it's a very interesting word because in the in the scriptures, the place that that word is used the most is when it comes to marriage. God sanctifies a marriage, right? And a marriage, according to the Bible, is between one man and one woman. And He sanctifies that marriage. He makes it holy. Let's look at an example. Because what we're talking about here is seven days of creation and we're talking about one day being different, set apart, sanctified, made holy, blessed by God's presence, right? So let's try to put that in perspective. I want you to imagine that there's a man and a woman who get married and you know them, you're invited to the wedding and so you go. And they have a beautiful wedding and they have a reception and now they're ready to leave and go on their honeymoon. And so they're leaving the building and people are saying their goodbyes and the car that they're going to get in is setting out front and they're making their way out there and they're getting stopped by various people and now the wife is stopped by one of her sisters. She has six sisters. And so there are seven girls in this family But this man has married one of the seven, and one of the sisters stops her sister, and they're talking, and so the groom, the husband, he leans over and he whispers into her ear, I'm going to be waiting in the car for you. And she gives him a nod, okay, and so he goes and he gets in the car, Now, I want you to imagine that as he's sitting there, all of a sudden the door opens and one of the other sisters jumps in, slides next to him and says, let's go. Can you imagine the horror on his face? Can you imagine the surprise? Can you imagine him saying, go where? You're not my wife. I didn't marry you. And can you imagine her saying, that's okay, I'm one of seven. Let's just go. Friends, you can see, I hope, where I'm headed with this. And someone might say, well, hold on a minute, Pastor Rod. Wasn't the Sabbath for the Jews? I want you to notice that the Sabbath was created by God 2,300 years before Abraham, the father of the Jews, was born. It was given to our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. The Sabbath was set aside at creation as an eternal symbol of God's creative power and for His people in every age. And so, even when Adam and Eve left the garden, the weekly cycle did not stop. They took the Sabbath with them as a reminder of God's eternal love. And so, throughout both the Old and the New Testament, the Sabbath is a sign between God and His people. And even before the Israelites were given the Ten Commandment law written in stone by God, they were already keeping the Sabbath of creation. I want to show this to you. So turn with me in your Bibles to the second book of your Bible, Exodus chapter 16. That's going to be page 80 if you're using one of our seminar Bibles. And I want you to notice what it says in verse... 26, God says to Moses, six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now let me put this in the proper perspective. God had brought His people Israel out of Egyptian bondage. They had been in slavery for 400 years. And now God brings them out into the desert and there's nothing to drink. And so God provides water for them. And there's nothing to eat. And so God is going to rain down food from heaven and they call it manna. And God says to them through Moses, you're going to go out six days a week and you're going to gather enough for each day as you go and if you gather together too much and you can't eat it all it's going to spoil it's going to rot but then I'm going to do something miraculous because God is reminding them you see Israel already had the law of God before Sinai they didn't have it written but they had it orally And they had been in bondage for 400 years. They had been slaves, forced to work on the Sabbath. And now God is reminding them of His commandment. And so He says, You're not going to find any on the Sabbath. So what I want you to do is I want you to go out on the day before the Sabbath and we're going to call that the preparation day because that's the day you're going to prepare for the Sabbath because there's no work to be done on that day. You're not going to find any if you try and go out and gather it. And every other day, the manna, if, it, if it, there was too much, it would spoil but on this sixth day, I'm going to do a miracle for you. You're going to go out and you're going to gather twice as much. You're going to eat the same amount you eat on Friday, the day before, and then you're going to have enough for the Sabbath and this time it's not going to spoil. And that's exactly what happened, didn't it? But we also know that there were some people who didn't listen. There were some people that weren't Keeping the commandment of God. And I want you to notice what God says to Moses in verse 28. Well, let's look at verse 27. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, "'How long do you refuse to keep My commandments and My laws?'' I want you to notice here that Israel was already keeping God's commandments before they were given the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Because you go four chapters later in Exodus chapter 20, and that's where God gives them the Ten Commandments written in stone. And so here we are in chapter 16. They haven't gotten to Sinai yet, and God says, How come you're not keeping my commandments? And so I want to tell you that the commandments of God were there long before Mount Sinai. In fact, I want to tell you they were there before Adam and Eve. And you want to know how we know that? Because Jesus Himself said that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. So where do we get the law of you shall not kill? You shall not murder. In the Ten Commandments, right? And so clearly the law was there long before that. But now God is, after 400 years of bondage, He's reminding His people, you need to keep my commandments. And then it was four chapters later in Exodus chapter 20 that God actually wrote the commandments with His finger in stone. I want you to notice. That God didn't write the commandments in sand so that it could be washed away. God didn't write the commandments on parchment or paper so that it could be burned or hidden in a corner. Right? God wrote on tablets of stone. God was indicating to us, My law will endure forever. He didn't even entrust Moses to do it. He wrote it Himself. And I want you to notice that the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, we get the fourth commandment, and He says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I want to point out to you a few things. First of all, I want to say that you and I cannot create a day. Can we? Am I alone in this? Am I the only one that is not able to create an eighth day? No, we cannot create a day. And you and I cannot make a day holy that God didn't say was holy. The only thing that we can do is what God told us to do to keep the day that he had made holy holy that's the only thing that we can do and i want you to notice the very first word of the commandment he says remember so why would god say remember because he knew that in the day of evolution that men and women would forget the sabbath He says, remember to keep it holy. God is calling us back to His eternal sign of creation. And I want you to notice what we've already read in Revelation 14, verse 7. Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Now I want you to go back to your Bibles, and you're in Exodus 16, just go four more chapters. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20, and I want to read the entire fourth commandment. It starts in verse 8, that's going to be page 83, if you're using one of our seminar Bibles. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. God says, we had it on the screen already, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of your Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is in your gates. And I'm going to stop there for a moment. I want you to pay really close attention to this last day message that we have been talking about that is going out to the world in our day. And I want you to pay attention to what it says here. And worship Him who made heaven and earth and the seas and the springs of water. Now let's read the last part of this commandment. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord did what? Made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. I want you to notice here that this message that goes out to the end of the world in the last days that we are living in is nearly a direct quote from the fourth commandment. God is drawing our attention back to the beginning. He is drawing us back to creation to remind us that He is our Creator. And I also want you to notice that in verse 10, it said, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. Notice that it doesn't say a Sabbath. Right? Or a seventh day. It is a very definite article that He is talking about. He's not talking about a seventh day. He's talking about the seventh day of creation. And so it is a very definite article that He is talking about. Just like your birthday, whatever date that is, that's the day, right? Not the day before. Not the day after. But your birthday is only on that one specific day. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. So he tells us why we should worship him on the seventh day, because that's the day that he set aside for a very special purpose. And he wants us to remember him through that as our creator. And then it says, and he rested the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. I want you to notice here that the Ten Commandment Law quotes creation in Genesis, and then Revelation 14, verse 7, does the same thing. It comes back and it quotes the 4th commandment and it quotes the creation account. God is drawing our attention back to Him as the Creator. You see, the Sabbath was never an exclusively Jewish institution. Just like we wouldn't say that the commandment not to kill is only for the Jews, would we? We wouldn't say that the commandment to not commit adultery is only for the Jewish nation, would we? It was given to our first parents long before the existence of the Jewish nation. It is for all Old and New Testament believers. I want to show you something that Jesus said. So turn with me to Mark Chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, that's going to be page 1153 of your seminar Bible. And I want you to notice what Jesus says in verse 27. Mark 2 27, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for the Jews. Is that what it says? No, it says, The Sabbath was made for man. Right? God made the Sabbath for all of humanity. I want you to notice here on the screen, Isaiah 56, verse 6 and 7. The first part, verse 6, says, Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, and then he finishes that quote with, I will bring to my holy mountain. Now, Let me ask you a question. Where is God's holy mountain? In heaven, that's right. And so God says everyone who keeps from defiling it, I'm going to take to heaven when I come back to get them. He's going to take us to the new Jerusalem. Throughout the Old Testament, the Sabbath was God's everlasting sign for His people. I want to show this to you, so turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 20. Remember we have got to put all of the verses in the Bible together to paint a true picture of what the Bible's saying. We can't take one verse and build our Bible doctrine around it. So now we want to go to Ezekiel chapter 20. That's going to be page 975 of that seminar Bible. I'm going to start in verse 11. Ezekiel 20 verse 11. This is God speaking. He says, And I gave them My statutes and showed them My judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. If we keep the commandments of God, if we do what God says, He says you will live. Right? Now notice verse 12. Moreover, in other words, in addition to that, I also gave them My Sabbaths to be a what? A sign between them and Me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Here God is telling us the Sabbath is going to be a sign that you truly belong to Me. If you keep My Sabbath, if you keep from defiling it, that will be the evidence that you belong to Me that you have Me living in you, empowering you to keep My commandments. And so as the angels are pouring over the books of heaven, they are looking for the evidence. You can say you're a Christian, but does your life reveal that you truly have surrendered your heart to Him? God gave the Sabbath to Adam and Eve at creation. God gave the Sabbath to His people all the way up to the day of Moses. God gave the Sabbath to the Israelites on Mount Sinai. He gave the Sabbath as a sign all through the Old and New Testament of His power not only to create, but to recreate our hearts. That is a sign between us and God. He gave it as a sign of His love to use and a symbol of His divine authority. But someone might say, but what about the New Testament? Did Jesus do away with the Sabbath? Did the disciples do away with the Sabbath? Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 4. That's going to be page 1183 if you're using one of those Bibles on the table. Luke chapter 4. And I want you to notice what the Bible says about Jesus. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. The Bible says, So He, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth where He had been brought up, And as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Here we see that Jesus Christ Himself worshipped God corporately in the synagogue on the Sabbath. So, let's think about this for a minute. If Jesus was going to change God's law, if he was going to change the day that God set aside for a holy purpose, for a day of communing with Him, a day of worshiping with Him, a day in His presence, do you think that Jesus would do it in such an obscure way that we would have to guess? I don't think so. I think it would be very clear we see that the legacy of His life was that He worshipped corporately on the Sabbath day. Now, we already looked at this verse, Mark 2.27. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not just the Jew. Now, was the Sabbath made for the Jews? Absolutely, because they are part of humanity, right? Right? But the Sabbath was made for Jews and Gentiles alike as a sign of God's power to create and His power to recreate us into His own image after the fall of man, after sin entered the world. It is a sign between us and God that we worship Him exclusively. It is a sign that we love Him supremely. The Sabbath was given to us by God as a gift. God knew that we were going to need that time in our busy life. Today, as we're running to and fro and going here and there, He knew that we were going to need one day a week to remind ourselves that He is our God. We can come into our worship service, and we can let all of the troubles, the difficulties, the challenges of life be left outside. The Sabbath was an eternal sign between us that He created us. Notice what Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen. He said, if you love Me, do what? Keep My commandments. The implication there is that we are not to keep eight of them, not nine of them, ten of them. James tells us, you fail in one, you fail in them all. Right? And so He is calling us in these last days of earth's history to keep all of His commandments. The disciples came to Jesus... And they were talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jesus told His disciples essentially that even after His death, even after His resurrection, even after His ascension into heaven, that they were still going to be keeping the Sabbath. Because as He gave them the signs of what to look for before He knew that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed, He said to them in Matthew 24, verse 20, and pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Why? They were to look for the signs that the destruction was about to happen so that before the Roman soldiers came and destroyed it, they could all get out of the city. And he says, pray that that's not on the Sabbath because that's going to be a challenge for you because you're not going to want to do all the things you need to do to get out of there because it's the Sabbath day. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. That's 39 years after Jesus died, rose again, and went back to heaven. Well, some people might ask, has time ever been lost? I mean, how do we really know which day today is the Sabbath day? I want to tell you that there are three ways that we can tell which day is the Sabbath. We can know from the Bible... We can know from the languages of the world. And we can know from astronomy. We have a seven-day cycle and the stars can help us to understand why we have that. But you will recall that the Sabbath was mentioned at creation. It was restated in the Ten Commandments given to Moses. And it's clear that from the time of creation to Moses... There was no loss of day. They were keeping the seventh day Sabbath. Moses kept it. Everybody up to Moses' day did. All through the Old Testament, from Moses to Jesus, God's people were keeping the Sabbath, so there was no lost time there. The crucifixion story clearly reveals the weekly cycle as we know it today has not changed even all the way down to our day. Let's look at the sequence of the Bible. Luke 23 verse 54 says, That day that Jesus died on the cross was the preparation day. That was the day before the Sabbath. And it even says, And the Sabbath drew near." Then Luke 23 continues, and the women who had come with Him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how His body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they did what? They rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And then it says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. So let's look at these events in order so that it's very clear. First of all, we see that the preparation day was the day that Jesus died on the cross. That was what we call Friday. Then the next day on the Sabbath, Jesus rested according to the commandment. Friends, this this just absolutely blows me away. I love this about Jesus. That even in death, He wouldn't break God's commandment. He rested on the Sabbath day and then the next morning, it says on the first day of the week, that's Sunday morning that the women came to anoint His body. We know for certain, don't we, which day Jesus was resurrected. Which day do we celebrate it every year? On Sunday, right? So the identification of the Sabbath is clear. Sabbath is the seventh day of the weekly cycle, or the day that we call Saturday. Saturday. Now, we might say, well, the commandment said that we were to rest on the Sabbath, so how did we get out of that, that that's the day that we should corporately worship? Let me show you that. Turn with me to the third book of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 23. That's going to be page 138 in your seminar Bible. And I want you to notice what it says in Leviticus 23, verse 3. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. Now that word convocation simply means gathering or assembly. So if we are going to have a holy or sacred assembly, it's talking about a worship service, isn't it? And so here we see that God is calling us to basically three things on the Sabbath day in order for us to keep it holy. Number one, it is a day for us to rest from all of our regular work. Our trying to make an income. Our trying to make a living. We are to rest from that. And I'm not going to specifically cover the second one, but you'll remember that Jesus was often accused of breaking the Sabbath because He was healing people. And He essentially said it's not only okay, but it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And so if we are going to keep the Sabbath day holy, it should be a day of doing good. It should be a day of reaching out to others to try and help them to see that they need to surrender their hearts to God. And then the third thing that we see is that it is to be the day that we corporately come together and worship God. Now someone might say, but Pastor Rod, I worship God every day. My answer to you is, praise God, you should. I worship God every day too. But what day is God telling us in His Word that He is calling us together corporately to worship Him? Many Christians today will say, well, that's fine, but we... Worship God on the first day of the week in the honor of the resurrection. You ever heard anybody say that? We worship God on the first day of the week in the honor of the resurrection. But I want to tell you that Jesus gave us a symbol for the resurrection. How do we celebrate the resurrection? Through baptism. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. And so if we are going to honor the resurrection, the way we do it is through baptism. Not through worshiping on the first day of the week. Friends, you can look all through the Bible and you will not find anywhere where God or His disciples changed the corporate day of worship. That has come from somewhere else. And you owe it to yourself to keep coming to find out where that came from And where it's all heading. In over 140 languages of the world, the word for the seventh day is Sabbath. In Spanish, it's sabado, which means Sabbath. In Italian, it's sabato, which means Sabbath. In Persian, it's shambin, which means Sabbath. In Arabic, it's as sabbat, which means the Sabbath. And in English, it's Saturday, which means Sabbath. And according to some very trustworthy sources, like the Royal Greenwich Observatory in England and the United States Naval Observatory, the weekly cycle has never changed. Jesus kept the Sabbath... Peter, James, and John, and and the other disciples and apostles kept the Sabbath. Paul kept the Sabbath. In fact, look here in Acts chapter 17, verse 1 and 2, it says, "...they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures." Here we see that Jesus gave no indication that He was going to change His corporate day of worship. Paul was keeping the Sabbath. Acts chapter 13, verse 42 says, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And so here again, Paul is preaching on the Sabbath and the Jews are there and the Gentiles are there and the Gentiles say to him, Why don't you come and preach to us on the next Sabbath? And that would have been the perfect opportunity for Paul to say, oh, don't worry about that. That's a Jewish thing. You just get all your friends together tomorrow on the first day of the week and we'll have a worship service. But I want you to notice that Paul didn't do that. Two verses later it says, and on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the Word of God. Friends, wouldn't that be awesome? if the whole city came together on the Sabbath to worship God? Because you see, the Sabbath represents the harmony that God is seeking for the human race. In Christ, we are one humanity. And on the Sabbath, we celebrate our oneness in Him. And when we come to worship Him on the Sabbath, He bonds us together in our human commonality. Acts chapter 16, verse 13 is another example. It says, On the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now in this particular case, Paul was in a city where they had no synagogue. They had no church. And so the people came together out in nature. They went down by the river under the trees, worshiping God, and there Paul is sharing with them the Word of God. You see, friends, in these last days of earth's history, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And revelation is calling us back to true worship. But someone might say, well, we worship God on the Lord's Day. And let me show you where they get this from. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. That's going to be page 1407 of your Seminar Bible. I want you to notice in verse 10 that John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet. And so there are many people that look at this one verse and they build their Bible doctrine around it and they say, see, John was in the Spirit on Sunday, the Lord's Day. But let me ask you a question. Is there anywhere in that verse or any other verse in the Bible that says that the Lord's Day is Sunday? No, it's not there, is it? That's something that people are putting into it, and the question we have to ask ourselves is where did that come from? Because it didn't come from the Word of God. I want you to notice that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, it says, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That makes the Sabbath the Lord's day. In Mark chapter 2, verse 28, it says, Therefore the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. That makes the Sabbath the Lord's day. In Luke chapter 6, verse 5, it says, The Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. That makes the Sabbath the Lord's day. We can ask ourselves a question, why did God make sure that we had that at least three times? I want to show you why. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians Chapter 13. 2 Corinthians, chapter 13. That's going to be page 1336 of your seminar Bible. 1336, 2 Corinthians, chapter 13. And I want you to notice what it says in verse 1. Paul says to the Corinthians, he's saying to us, This will be the third time that I'm coming to you. Why? By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established." The reason that God tells us at least 3 times why the son of man is the lord of the Sabbath is so that we can understand that the Sabbath is the Lord's day. We have at least 3 witnesses. But I want to tell you that this verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1 isn't the only one that says that by two or 3 witnesses a thing shall be established. You can go to Numbers chapter 35 verse 30. You can go to Deuteronomy 17:6 and 19:15. You can go to man Matthew 18.16, John 8.17, Hebrews 10.28, and they all essentially tell you the same thing. By two or three witnesses, a thing shall be established. And so if the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, then that makes the Sabbath the Lord's day. And that is why we have adopted this theme for our series. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. But if it's not in the Bible or it disagrees with the Bible, even though that's what I've been told my entire life, I don't need it. I'm throwing it out. It's not for me. We are living in a day of deception. And this change of corporate worship from Sabbath to Sunday didn't come from God. It came from somewhere else. The Sabbath of the Creator in Genesis is the Lord's day of Revelation. It's the same Creator in Revelation as it was in Genesis. Just as He declared to His first inhabitants of the earth, I blessed that day, I sanctified that day, I rested on that day and I want you to do the same thing with Me. It is a sign between you and Me that I am able to change your heart. That I am able to transform you and I'm able to get you through these last days and all the way to heaven. You see, friends, God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, And tomorrow. And I want you to notice how Revelation 14 12 describes God's last day people. He says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who do what? Who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Again, the implication there is that they keep all of his commandments. And so here we see tonight that the Sabbath was given at creation. It was given at Sinai. It was kept by all of God's people throughout the Old Testament. It was kept by Jesus. It was honored by the disciples. It is a sign of God's power to not only create, but also to recreate you into His image. And then number 7, it is going to be kept even in the new earth. Let me show you this. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 66. And I want you to notice what the Bible says starting in verse 22. "...For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before Me, says the Lord..." so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, that's just simply saying from one month to another, and from one, what's the next word? Sabbath to another. That means from one week to the next to the next to the next, all flesh... Shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Friends, God does not change. And He is going to have a people at the end of time. And I want to show you what they look like. We've looked at this once already, but let's go back to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. This is so powerful. I want to look at it again. That's going to be page 1370 of that Seminar Bible, Titus chapter 2. Look with me in verse 11. Paul says to Titus, he's saying to us, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Stop there. This is talking about how God is calling you and me to live in the last days of earth's history. In the present age. And then notice the next verse. 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who did what? Gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You see, friends, the controversy in heaven was that Satan was saying that they couldn't keep God's law. And God is saying, that's not true. At the end of time, I am going to have a group of people that so look like my son that I'm going to do with them what I did with Enoch. I'm coming to get them. You see, friends, God is calling us to a higher standard. He's calling us to true worship. And false worship has worked its way into the Christian church. And so He's calling us back to creation. He's calling us back to remember Him as the Creator and to keep all of His commandments. And so the question I want to ask you tonight... Is that the desire of your heart? Do you want to be among that group of people that is a special people of God? People who have totally surrendered it all to Him. Laid it all on the altar. And friends, I want to encourage you to keep on coming. Because we are going to see how all of this error has come into the Christian church And what God is calling us to do. We're starting to see that. He's calling us to live a totally righteous life. That means everything you eat, everything you drink, everything you wear, everything you watch, everything you do, everyone you hang out with. It's all for the glory of God. And when the books of heaven are examined in this judgment that we've already seen is going on right now, when the books are opened and it's time to examine your life, there's going to be enough evidence to show that you have a life surrendered to God. That He is living in you, empowering you to do God's will. We don't want to be like that group of people that Paul talks about at the end of time who have a form of godliness but deny its power. A true Christian will have the power of God in them and when they see the truth, they will fall in love with the truth. Jesus said, My people perish because they don't have a love with the truth. They would rather surround themselves with those who tell them what they want to hear. And the majority of Christians today just want to check the box and say, I'm saved, and now I can go and do whatever I want to do. But friends, God is calling us to true worship. Is it the desire of your heart to be in true worship to Him? If it is, I want to ask you to stand up. And I want you to take that stand for Jesus and say, yes, Lord. I want to be where You want me to be. I want to be in true worship. Take that stand if that's the desire of your heart. Don't do it because I think you should or everybody's doing it. Do it because you are making a stand. You are making a decision for Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, all we can say is, wow. Thank You for opening our eyes. Thank You for helping us see that Your Word is very clear and that there are things that have gotten into Your church that are not true. And Lord, we want to figure out where those things are coming from and where all this is leading us. And Lord, of course, we know the devil's behind it all, but we also know that he uses human instrumentalities And so we have got to study on the Antichrist. We have got to study the little horn of of Daniel. We have got to look at the first and second beasts of Revelation 13. We have got to look at the false prophet. Lord, we want to understand what all of these human instrumentalities are doing to lead us into the greatest deception that has ever happened because the Bible tells us the whole world wondered after the beast. And Lord, we don't want to be a part of that group. And so we pray that You would impress upon our heart the need to keep all of Your commandments, to do what You've called us to do, to call us out of the world, and to prepare us for the second coming of Jesus. Lord, You know every heart here. You know everyone here in where they're at and what they need so that You can get them through. And Lord, our prayer is that You will speak to every single heart. And You will help us to know what You would have us do. And we pray and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.